Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The crack commando unit makes its way through the back streets of downtown Los Angeles. They're on a mission, but it's one that has to be kept under wraps. They're wanted by the law, so every move they make needs to be calculated. Made up of four members, the ragtag group is a bunch of outcasts, but they never relent in their mission of justice and fighting for what's right. Their unorthodox situation has created a strong bond between the group, and maybe one day they'll have their names cleared and will no longer have to be on the run. I'm Jamie Logie, and this is Everything 80s, a podcast that looks back on a decade that forever changed the way we dress, consumed, and connected. And today, we look back on the TV show that was a ratings powerhouse, a merchandising juggernaut, and one of the defining shows of the entire decade. This is the story of The A-Team. A-Team was a primetime action-adventure TV series that first launched on NBC in 1983. At the beginning of each episode, we are provided with a full synopsis of the show, which goes as following. In 1972, a crack commando unit was sent to prison by a military court for a crime they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a maximum security stockade to the Los Angeles underground. Today, still wanted by the government, they survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help you, and if you can find them, maybe you can hire the A-Team. The opening narration provides all the context we need for the show, so whether you watched from day one or jumped in at later seasons, you were quickly brought up to speed with the synopsis of the A-Team. Because of this specific narrative intro, you could jump in at any point and be able to watch without being too lost. The intro of the show also introduces us to the characters, and by the way they are presented, we even get a quick glimpse into their individual personalities. Colonel John Hannibal Smith is played by George Pappard. If you know your classic movie history, Pappard starred as Paul alongside Audrey Hepburn in Breakfast at Tiffany's. He is the team's charismatic leader and mastermind. Smith is the brains of the operation, and even though he thinks outside the box, he gets things done. Hannibal is also a master of disguise and uses this ability in many situations. Lieutenant Templeton Faceman Peck is played by Dirk Benedict. But in the pilot, the role was played by Tim Dunnigan, who played Jonathan Powers in Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future, a show I have a previous episode all about. Peck is the face of the group. He's a pretty suave con artist, but also the group's accountant. Face has a high-class look to him, and if needed, 
can blend in with the elite. Captain H.M. Howling Mad Murdoch is played by Dwight Schultz. Murdoch is the pilot for the group and a bit of an eccentric. Murdoch often suffers from delusions. And rounding out the group is Sergeant Bosco B.A. Baracus, played by a former nightclub bouncer named Lawrence Tarode, a.k.a. the iconic Mr. T. B.A., which stands for Bad Attitude, is tough and a mechanical genius with a fear of flying. If he does fly, he often needs to be knocked out to do so. B.A. doesn't get along with Murdoch and is basically the muscle of the group. So how did this whole show come to be? We're in the early 80s and it wasn't a great time for NBC. Then-President Brandon Tartikoff was looking for any new programming to get the network out of third place. Tartikoff wanted to see something that was similar to movies like Mission Impossible or The Dirty Dozen, where a certain group of people are the only ones you can turn to when you can no longer go the conventional route. He wanted a small screen version of those types of movies that feature anti-heroes, but with good intentions. The show should be based around a group of people who have no other options, but in order to survive, have to take unorthodox measures. Tartikoff then approached two creators about the idea. Two creators that already had a proven track record in the world of television. Stephen Cannell and Frank Lupo had been involved in many standout shows, including Magnum P.I., The Rockford Files, 21 Jump Street, and Bears Beats Battlestar Galactica. Battlestar Galactica is where they met Dirk Benedict, who played Face. Benedict played the role of Lieutenant Starbuck on Battlestar Galactica. Tartikoff presented his vision for this vigilante-type show, and both Cannell and Lupo put together what they believed he was looking for. What they developed was a group that came out of the Vietnam War that is indeed innocent of the crimes they commit, but they have to learn to work together as a team in order to survive. This would set the stage for all the challenges the group would face over the course of the series. The A and A team stands for Alpha Team, and they are the group that goes into dangerous situations first to make things safer for the teams that follow. The A-Team series was positioned as a mission of the week type show where the team has a constantly changing objective. But this is a team that helps the underdog and protects the vulnerable. They didn't stray too far from this simple structure because it was an effective formula that just needed to be rinsed and repeated. This show, after all, was an action-adventure comedy and didn't need to stray too far from that. The A-Team was an attempt by Tartikoff to give the network the shot in the arm it desperately needed. And that meant making the show a simple but big spectacle. In an interview with the New York Times from April 1983, Tartikoff says, quote, We are not looking for Emmy Award nominations, but to get the blood pumping at the network, unquote. When it came to casting the show, landing George Pappard was a big deal as he was an established Hollywood actor. But for the role of B.A. Baracus, they needed someone larger than life, someone that would serve as an attraction. The creators went with the unique choice of Mr. T. Mr. T had served in the army and, besides being a bouncer, worked as a bodyguard in Los Angeles for some pretty big-name clientele, including Steve McQueen, 
Diana Ross, and Michael Jackson. He also served as a bodyguard for boxers Joe Frazier, Leon Spinks, and even Muhammad Ali, which tells you how tough this human being really was. By the time the A-Team rolled around, Mr. T, which had been his legal name since 1970, was an already established character or persona, if you want to call him that. The general public got their first look at Mr. T in 1980, when he appeared on an NBC show called America's Best Bouncer, or the world's toughest bouncer. Thursday, it's games people play. This week, Greg Evigan and round two of the toughest bouncer, Reggie Jackson and some amazing... This was an actual competition show where the participants competed in events like throwing someone out of a bar and kicking down a door. It was like America's next top model, but with more headbutting. The competition was won by Mr. T, who actually donated his prize money to charity. His appearance on the show caught the eye of Sylvester Stallone, looking for a new performer for Rocky III. T would play the role of boxer Clubber Lang, where he uttered his now famous line, I pity the fool. Mr. T did a bit more work, including a deep cut where he appeared on an episode of the Canadian sketch comedy show called Bizarre. That show also featured a unique performer called Super Dave Osborne. To introduce the winner of the toughest bouncer championship of the world, also known as the world's greatest bodyguard, a fine actor, a true gentleman, and one of the toughest men that ever lived. Ladies and gentlemen, the man who played Clubber Lang in Rocky Three, the one, the only, Mr. T. Super Dave? Mr. T. Mr. T. Super Dave. Good luck, Super Dave. Thanks, Mike. By casting Mr. T for this new show about a vigilante group of sorts, it was hard to tell if we were still observing the character of Mr. T or B.A. Baracus. The truth is, it was kind of a blend of the two, as Mr. T was such an already established star and persona. There's a bit of performance art to Mr. T, but it's still an extension of the real Lawrence Tarot. Like a good professional wrestling character, it's a matter of taking your personality, but turning the dial up to 10. Stay tuned for how the world of Mr. T and professional wrestling would come together in a remarkable pop culture moment. But either way, one of the focal points of the new show would be based around the already very popular character of Mr. T. He was becoming a big enough personality and attraction to draw more eyes to the A-team. With the cast in place, another standout element of the show was the black and grey van with the red stripe. The A-team van, which was a souped-up GMC Vandura, was a unique vehicle that featured a rooftop spoiler, weapons, and all the surveillance equipment the team needed. Vehicles such as Kit from Knight Rider and the General Lee from the Dukes of Hazard gave those shows another element of identity, and the A-Team van would be no different. Plus, if the show was a hit, a toy version of the vehicle might be a big seller among kids. Spoiler alert, it would be. So, mix all of this in with an iconic theme song and it looked to be a winning formula. But how would it do on TV? Who would the main audience be? And would people buy into this unique premise and format? 
The A-Team pilot debuted on Sunday, January 23rd on NBC, but the first true regular episode aired on January 30th, a unique day in TV history. This was also the same day as Super Bowl 17, where Washington defeated Miami. In the crowd for that year's game was Mr. T, as a way to hype up this new show that would debut right after the Super Bowl. This further established the tradition of the host network airing significant programming after the game. This time slot, or lead out as it's known, has led to the debuts of shows like The Wonder Years, Airwolf, Family Guy, and American Dad. This coveted lead out spot, the biggest one of the year, would also serve as a platform to showcase special episodes in the future for big established shows like The X-Files, The Simpsons, Friends, and The Office. And obviously, because you and I are here today discussing this 40 years later, the A-Team was a huge hit. Thanks to the lead out from the Super Bowl, the A-Team debuted with a pretty massive 26.4 rating and a 39 share. That meant that 40% of households watching TV that night were tuned in to watch the new show starring Mr. T. At first, the show was lambasted by critics for its violence. Other pedantic reviews discuss whether the name A-Team should be hyphenated or not. A review from The Hollywood Reporter said the A-Team wouldn't be a threat to both CBS and ABC, and that, quote, neither network has much to worry about, unquote. It was also mentioned that, quote, not even middle America could sip the A-Team's nectar and like the taste, unquote. Those critiques turned out to be a little off. Despite moving around on Sunday night time slots and eventually moving to Tuesdays, the A-Team was in the top 10 most watched shows for the 1982-1983 season. It was even tied in 10th place with Monday Night Football. In season 2, it jumped the charts to number 4 with a 24 rating. That 24 meant that the A-Team reached a quarter of all homes that owned a TV. That percentage wasn't too far off the monster number of the Super Bowl debut. The only shows that finished ahead of the A-Team that year were 60 Minutes, Dynasty, and Dallas. A remarkable feat for a show only in its second year. By the third season, it was still in the top 10, finishing at number 6. For that 1984-85 third season, the A-Team, a show that not many people believed in at first, was just a few ratings points behind juggernaut shows like 60 Minutes and Family Ties. Yes, the A-Team was violent. I'm using air quotes that you can't see, but it was a more cartoonish violence. And it wasn't any more violent than what we had already seen in Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, and The Return of the Jedi, which was just released a few months after the A-Team debuted. Even if a million bullets were flying, just like in G.I. Joe and Transformers and even Star Wars a bit, no one seemed to get hit. The A-Team felt like a live-action G.I. Joe. And speaking of the beloved kids cartoon, not surprisingly, some of the biggest fans of the A-Team were children. And this audience would help to make the A-Team an absolute pop culture phenomenon. Everything 80s will return after these messages. 
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Since a big percentage of the A-Team viewership was in the 6 to 11 age group, it didn't take long for the branding to begin. By 1984, A-Team merchandise was everywhere, from my lunchbox to my cherished die-cast version of the van. Action figures, dolls, comic books, bed sheets, play sets, t-shirts, a slot car racing set, even an A-Team action train set were soon available. This property was a merchandising powerhouse, a true license to print money with every A-Team product you could possibly think of. There was even an A-Team fan club. If you were ever a member of this coveted fan club, you may remember receiving photos, postcards, posters, and even a newsletter. When you signed up, you received your own membership card, and the initial kit came in a camo-styled case that looked like an army satchel. There was even a live-action A-Team stunt show at Universal Studios. If you grew up in the UK in 1984, you may remember an A-Team comic strip in TV Comic Magazine. There was also one in another kids' magazine called Look In. One product area that the A-Team was just a few years short of was in the video game market. The release of the show predated the NES and were right in the midst of the video game crash. An A-Team game of sorts existed for the Atari, as did one for the Commodore 64. That Commodore game, for some reason, used the Star Wars theme as the intro music, though. These aren't exactly the most stellar games of all time. But thanks to the success of the A-Team, Mr. T was elevated to the level of bona fide superstar. Mr. T was everywhere. Today, we would probably call this a brand, but the Mr. T persona was not only on our TVs, but on our toy shelves. The popularity of the Mr. T character took the success of both him and the show to an even higher level. But now, toy companies could release not only A-Team merchandise, but specific Mr. T products. There were Mr. T coloring books, a Mr. T board game, which I proudly owned, and my all-time favorite breakfast choice, Mr. T cereal. I know Koo, and Koo's teaming up with a good balanced breakfast. Teaming up with Mr. T cereal, that's getting on the team, the team that knows how cool breakfast can be. You get a crispy corn taste with a touch of brown sugar. Teaming up with Mr. T. It's Koo. Made by Quaker Oats, this iconic cereal was similar to Captain Crunch, but in the shape of teas. You may remember seeing it at the beginning of Pee-wee's Big Adventure. 
Mr. T's cereal contains some of the highest amounts of sugar ever put into a breakfast cereal. I love this stuff. And if you ever had it, you know it was impossible to just eat one bowl. Then, the same year that the A-Team debuted, NBC released a Mr. T cartoon show. It's the mystery on my show, the best show, Mr. T. Created by Ruby Spears Enterprises, the same production company that brought us Heathcliff and Marmaduke, the Saturday Supercade, and Rubik the Amazing Cube, the Mr. T cartoon debuted in the fall of 1983. In this NBC cartoon series, Mr. T is a gymnastics coach that travels the world while also solving mysteries. It's a bit of Scooby-Doo, but featured more moral lessons narrated by Mr. T at the end of each show. The episodes also began with a live-action clip of Mr. T explaining what the episode was all about. And don't forget, that name is Mr. T. First name is Mr., middle name is that period, last name is T. The Mr. T cartoon was a shorter season animated series that lasted for three seasons and 30 episodes, finishing up in the fall of 1986. The show also featured the voice talent of Phil Lamar as Woody. Lamar has been in a ton of great shows such as Murphy Brown, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Hanging with Mr. Cooper, The George Carlin Show, and he was one of the original cast members on Mad TV. Going into 1984, Mr. T dominated the small screen, appearing in both primetime and Saturday mornings. A kid like me already loved the A-Team and Mr. T, and a cartoon series directed specifically at us made him an even more beloved hero. Thanks to the success of the A-Team, Mr. T also appeared on shows like Different Strokes, Silver Spoons, and Alvin and the Chipmunks. The story of the A-Team really is the story of Mr. T, and this soon led to one of the biggest crossovers of the entire decade. While Mr. T and the A-Team were finding mainstream success, so was a new upstart wrestling company based out of New York. Vince McMahon Sr. had sold the Worldwide Wrestling Federation to his son Vince Jr. Vince Jr. had plans to take the company national. And McMahon had the perfect performer to base the company around, Terry Jean Bollea, better known as Hulk Hogan. Both Hogan and the company were quickly gaining traction. The then World Wrestling Federation joined forces with Cyndi Lauper and another upstart company, a new cable channel called MTV, to create the Rock and Wrestling Connection. This led to a few wrestling events featured on MTV. One of these events was called the War to Settle the Score. Held in February 1985, the last match aired on MTV, and it featured Hulk Hogan against Rowdy Roddy Piper. As the match ended with interference by Paul Mr. Wonderful Orndorff and Cowboy Bob Orton, who would come to Hogan's rescue but his special guest sitting ringside, Mr. T. This was the perfect combination of the hottest things on TV in 1985, pro wrestling, MTV, and Mr. T. This event set the stage for the very first WrestleMania, where the main event featured Hogan and Mr. T against Roddy Piper and Paul Orndorff. 
you can check out my episode all about the story of the first WrestleMania in my earlier episodes. But if you were my age at this point in the 80s, it didn't get much more monumental than when Mr. T and Hulk Hogan joined forces. Thanks to all the extra mainstream success of Mr. T, the A-Team series continued to be a massive hit. This is a show that was a big draw for other celebrities. Over the course of the series, guest stars included Hulk Hogan himself, Rick James, Isaac Hayes, Boy George, Joe Namath, William the Refrigerator Perry, and even Pat Sajak and Vanna White. But it wasn't always smooth sailing over at the A-Team. Before the breakout success of Mr. T, George Papard was the primary star and the big name first attached to the series. Papard was given an element of creative control, leading to alleged clashes on set and a power struggle between him and the rising star of the show, Mr. T. There are many stories about the dysfunction on the A-Team set, including Papard and T refusing to speak to each other when not in character. By the fourth season, the ratings dropped like a rock, barely cracking the top 30. What happened? Was it the competition? Did viewers get bored with the similar format presented week after week? It was probably a bit of both of these factors, but the issues surrounding the violence continued to plague the show. Right out of the gate, the A-Team was at the top of the list of the most violent shows on television compiled by the National Coalition of Television Violence. According to them, the A-Team featured upwards of 40 acts of violence per hour. But the A-Team did air in prime time, not Saturday mornings. Yes, a big part of the audience was children, but again, it was a more cartoonish style of violence that appeared on the show. It was more loud and explosive than violent. Its bark was worse than its bite. And by the fifth season, an eight-year-old who started watching in 1983 was now a teenager. But is that one of the reasons the ratings dropped? Had the younger viewers moved on? Either way, it was time for a major overhaul. For the fifth season, the show's creators made an abrupt move. You remember the intro of the show about the group escaping from a maximum security stockade and how they were still wanted by the government? Well, ladies and gentlemen, they got them. In that fifth season, the A-Team is finally apprehended by the military. The CIA makes them a deal, allowing them to be pardoned only after they complete several suicide missions. They are assisted by a new character, a former ally in Vietnam named Frankie Dishpan Man Santana. After four seasons, the A-Team, who only ever worked for themselves, found themselves facing new threats. Their missions would include Cold War themes, with episodes taking them to East Germany or combating the Soviets. It sounds like an interesting new dynamic and a little Mission Impossible-esque, but based on the audience response, it was too little, too late. With only 13 episodes making up the fifth season, the A-Team dropped out of the top 50 shows as far down as 60th. The A-Team was also moved to Friday Nights, which in a pre-TGIF on ABC era was usually a bad sign for a series. In the final season, the A-Team still managed to receive a 12.8 rating. Today, 
That would make it one of the most watched shows on TV by a country mile. But back in the 80s, a 12.8 rating was considered, quote, anemic. The final episode of the A-Team aired in March of 1987. The A-Team was a simple show, but still explored some worthwhile themes, such as loyalty and the importance of a moral code. It explored simple friendship, but also having a sense of justice. But for many viewers, the action, adventure, comedy, and star power of Mr. T were enough to keep us tuning in week after week. I know I sure did. The A-Team has left behind a timeless legacy. It's remembered fondly and was even rebooted in a 2010 movie. Since 2015, there have also been talks of a new A-Team series, but that seems to be as far as it's gone. The A-Team is one of those era-defining shows that a kid like me based his entire week around. I was at just the right age to love the spectacle, but understand that as violent as it may appear wasn't gratuitous. The A-Team was big, loud, and chaotic, but engaging. As I mentioned, it was like a live-action G.I. Joe, but much more spectacular, and offered more to a wider audience. The show had a much broader appeal than NBC ever thought it would. With all the weekly chaos and possible guest stars, you didn't want to miss a single week. For me, knowing that my favorite wrestlers like Hulk Hogan, Palmister Wonderful Orndorff, and the beloved British Bulldogs were making an appearance made the A-Team absolutely appointment viewing. One thing I love most about the A-Team is it felt like watching a mini-movie each week, but it was right there in the comfort of our living rooms. There were car chases and explosions, action and adventure, and it was funny. This cinematic aspect was one of the big appeals of another classic 80s show, Knight Rider. When these shows came on, it was lights down and popcorn time. Simply put, in the 80s, shows like the A-Team felt like an event. The A-Team had a lot going against it, but it persevered to become a defining part of the 1980s. So that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, you know there's plenty more where that came from with the other episodes I suggested for further listening. But besides episodes on the first WrestleMania and Captain Power, I have episodes devoted to G.I. Joe, Transformers, and even as mentioned at the end, Knight Rider. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the Everything 80s podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss out on new episodes. If you're in a position to support the show, you can consider becoming a part of Patreon.com. That's the place to get access to bonus audio content. If you want to learn more, you can just head over to Patreon.com slash 80s. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash 80s or click on the link in the description. So that's it for me. I'm Jamie. This has been Everything 80s, but I'll be back soon with a new episode. Don't you dare miss it.